With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's episode 6 of FPL Black Box. Welcome, it's been oh another punishing game week for a lot of people, but not for one of the Black Box boys. I'm not going to do any gloating. Good <laughs> yeah, evening, right. good evening Az. Uh, yeah, my name is Mark and welcome to Black Box episode 6. It's the international break and it's come just in time for so many of us, hasn't it? Let's face it. It, well, it really has. And yeah, I've been trying to kind of work out what the hell is going on. Is kind of what everyone's trying to do and... Yeah, I mean, we're, we've started a, a podcast trying to look at what we can learn from the season, but it's so volatile, isn't it? It's hard to pick some things out, I guess. I was thinking today, Black Box is beautifully named because it is a bit of a of a, of a train crash, stroke car crash, <laughs> airplane crash, isn't it? In the season so yeah. far, it's just picking through the wreckage and and that's what we're going to try and do in in tonight's episode. Obviously, we're, we're looking back in this episode, then next week we're going to be doing the game week preview and looking forward. So it is a retrospective, but as I can promise you, some interesting data coming up. Um, You're quite excited about this one, aren't you? You've been teasing, teasing me some some little tidbits. Yeah, because I think that people are playing their wild cards. People are panicking. Um, people are making lots of transfers and taking hits, me included. But actually, we've got some data to look at tonight, which kind of confirms that there's no way um, this is sustainable, and that we've had an incredibly strange start to this season. Um, so we'll get to that later, and it is quite interesting. Um, but we've got lots to cover as well. We're going to look at all the players and team data so far yep. to see if we can. It's only four game weeks, but there's enough there, I think, where we can start drawing some ideas on on who are the teams and players to watch. Um, it's always felt like the game week, didn't it, where we'd have sort of some actual stats to look at and we could actually start making a few more sort of calculated decisions, but... I mean, it's such is yeah. It doesn't really feel like it, but hopefully we 
we can. <laughs> Traditionally, a lot of people play their wild card in the first break. Yeah. Right? Or the same. Were, you, yeah. were you thinking that at the start of the season? Were you thinking, right, game week, game week four? between? Four yeah, I was. I mean, particularly last week. I think I ended up taking a hit last week and uh, I've taken another hit this week, you know, even before the internationals. If I hadn't taken the hit last week, I think I definitely would have, would have the wild card in play. Um, I think I might just not do it, but I'm... I'm still pretty close. You're not going to play it now, are you? And you're not doing a you're not doing a Joe on me, are you? you I'm not, played I'm not it doing and... a Joe. Right, no, okay. I haven't. I haven't done it. No, my team my team's in pretty good shape with, with a minus four, so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play. It. But I mean, it's one of those ones, isn't it? I mean, the temptation is there because you've got Kane and Son, um, who who neither of us have, and you know, good fixtures coming. You've got they've got amazing form, so it's tempting to just to try and shoehorn one of those guys in. But I'm I'm holding strong. Mm, okay, well, let's look at your game week. Um, you know, how many points was it in total? I can't. I didn't. I didn't check on that, but it was. It was not one to a member. <laughs> well, it never is, is it? I mean, let me tell you how many points it was. <laughs> it's just another kind of treading water game week. Uh, Forty-eight points right. with a four point with a four that point a, hit. That was on the average, was it? Yeah, around the average. I mean, it was. It was. I mean, you can you can see my my best player there, Basuma, uh, after Salah. Um, you'll notice that he didn't auto sub in. I, I played it. I know. <laughs> I think that was an inspired decision. So you got that absolutely right. You should be, you know. I can take absolutely no credit for that. It was out of pure desperation, just because uh, I didn't have anyone else. Anyone was it, else to was play. it Ailing or Basuma? It was Ailing or Basuma. Yeah. So it had to be had to be one of them. Uh, I mean, the the worst part was I, I took a hit um, on the last sort of the last. You can look at my transfer history. Ten fifty nine. On the Saturday, you know when I said don't take transfers. You did it minute. right at the last minute. Right at the last minute, did Martial to Jimenez, and right. got got away okay. with it. Mm. Got away with it. Simple as. Um, yeah, oh, just just a pretty nothing week. Let's let's move on. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the thing is, you did what were your two transfers? You did Werner out as well, did you? Or you were looking? No, at, no, no I, I was. I, I did. I had to move Ben Davies out, even though he managed to get an assist. His only attacking return he'll probably get. Uh, all season, I moved him out for Semedo, who I'm quite happy with. Uh, he looked, he had a really good chance in the first sort of opening minutes of that game, and then was playing really advanced, almost like a striker. So exactly why I kind of got him. He just needs to actually learn how to finish, <laughs> and then he he should be quite a good pick. Uh, and then I had Martial and Werner, and I was I really wanted Jimenez. I just couldn't work out kind of who to get rid of. And in the end, I thought, well, I might want Werner for that Southampton game if he can show something against. Palace uh, and yeah I just I, I kind of lost faith with with United but then when when Martial got the assist in the first few minutes I was thinking oh this is going to be an absolutely awful decision with Jimenez blanking and Werner blanking and then just completely got away with it with him getting some it, it felt that this this was a, a, a funny week for me I got away with it with Basuma actually getting more than two points and playing him over Eiling and sort of doing a four point here and kind of getting away with it so I'll take it, and and it, it has. I think having Jimenez and and Semedo strengthened me quite a lot, and I've taken another four point hit, and now I think my team is pretty good. So, yeah, well, we'll look at your transfer later on. It's okay. We'll do a, a quick look forward, but Basuma was inspired. I mean, he's probably going to get what one or two goals this season, and it was a cracker as well. I so. can't, I can't say it was inspired. Honestly, it was just, it's just blind luck. I'd have gone alien, I think. I, yeah. I think I would have done. And Aileen nearly scored as well, to be fair. He, I know. Was, he should have done. I know. So. Well, my, the only reason I didn't was because I was worried that if City did click and scored mm. a few goals, he could end up doing a Trent or a <laughs> or a Robertson and getting into the minus points. And at least with Basuma, I was 
I was kind of happy with just a solid two points yeah, for him, yeah, which is yeah. ridiculous. Well, it, it didn't happen for City, did it? We'll look at that later on as well. And um, my team then, yeah, one, come on. one major highlight, obviously. And 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 the thing is, we've got to be careful because I think again, it papers over the cracks somewhat. Um, look at that. Salah, <laughs> Salah got a couple of goals in the same game. Again, it was an incredible final day for me, wasn't it? Well, for the for the listeners, Mark, who did you have? Who got you twenty four points? Yeah, okay. So I got McCarthy in goal, the, the Liverpool pair, Alexander Arnold, the Dean and Robertson, Dina the back three, Suchek, Podence, De Bruyne, Salah, Calvert Lewin, and Jimenez up front, and the one midfielder I haven't mentioned is Jack Grealish, who Gosh. I got in game week two, uh, and I it was him or Barnes, and and we thought we'd made, I'd made an error because Barnes yeah. outscored him only just over the two games. He outscored him by three points, I think. And I looked at the Liverpool fixture, and God's honest truth, had I had transfers up my sleeve, Grealish probably would have gone. He would have mm. gone to Barnes, I think, because Barnes's fixtures are stronger over the next two. So in my head, I was always like, well, I'm going to get Grealish in for a couple, then probably get him out for Barnes, and then go from there. That was my long-term strategy yeah. when I made the move. But then when it got to it, I had to take Vernon out because I just thought it was time and I needed to get Calvert-Lewin, I felt. So they was my two moves. So I couldn't, I had to leave Grealish in and play him against Liverpool thinking, well, to be honest, he looked decent at Fulham and he, he's the kind of player who can do anything. You know, he's mm. a, he's Mercura, isn't he? So, and he has scored against big teams. He scored at Old Trafford last year. So he pulls it out sometimes on the big stage. Scored and, one. Yeah, <laughs> scored a scored a you know maybe maybe a four. Oh, if he gets a goal, he could get seven or eight points. You know, if you're yeah. lucky. And then, <laughs> but I, I did the match that they challenged because I've been doing this with the last game of yeah. This is outrageous. And I text I texted you and Luke and I said I'll settle in for the Grealish hat trick. And at that point, I turned my phone off and went and watched um Murder on the Orient Express, which is a bit disappointing for the film buffs out there. Um, mm. so I didn't know the score and I signed off from you saying, oh, yeah, get ready for the hat-trick, a glib, tongue-in-cheek comment. And then I settled down for the match. And then it was it was surreal watching it because I was like, well, he got an assist early on. I thought, oh, that's an assist. I'll take that. Five, yeah. five or six point return. And then he had two, he laid on two for, for Barkley on a plate. And he could have, you know, I was thinking, oh, that's a hat-trick of assist gone. You know, I should have, I should have done really well out of this game. And then obviously as the game went on, I was like, oh, what is going on? And, the assist totted up and then it was half time. I was thinking, well, I'm a bit disappointed he hasn't got in on the goals, to be honest. And then lo and behold, he did. And then he scored that one, which was a massive deflection. Yeah. And um, I was fast forwarding through the dull moments, which wasn't many of them, obviously. But I presumed it was going to get given as an own goal. And I hadn't looked at my phone, so I didn't know if it was an own goal or a goal for Grealish. And then I fast forwarded. And as it got to the end, I heard them say two goals for Grealish. So I thought to myself, well, normally if the dubious goal panel have ruled it out by now. If Match Centre have done their thing, they would have updated and the commentary would have known. So I mm. ended the match thinking, he did get, did he get two goals? And yeah, I'm being selfish, aren't I? But then I, so then I uh, got to the, got to my desktop, fired up my team and there he was with the two goals and three assists and three bonus. Um, and I kind of knew with all the key passes and the big chances created, he would get the bonus over Watkins, mm. regardless of whether that was a goal or not. But an amazing, one of my biggest, fondest memories of F- FPL ever. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, doing the match of day challenge, because I mean, I was watching, I watched both the United game and, and the Liverpool game live. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. But the thought of watching those condensed into like a kind of 20 minute <laughs> period on match of the day um, must have been incredible. I mean, uh, Nistel Percy says Mark got lucky with the Allison injury. And I think that's interesting because you've got double Liverpool defence. So you'd mm. think, you're, you think the Allison injury would, would hinder you massively. But in this case... 
it actually helped you. Yeah, it probably did. I, did, I yeah. didn't look at it like that. I mean, obviously, when I heard about that injury going into the game, I was like, oh, I, I actually hadn't heard it until the match started and I was watching the, the preamble. And um, yeah, I was like, oh, well, okay, there's a good chance Liverpool are going to concede now, obviously, because they just seem far less confident yeah. with Adrian there, regardless of his error, which he obviously presented on the plate. Um, it's just not having Alisson has an impact anyway. Yeah. Um, so I kind of presume that. But yeah, I guess I guess I did benefit from that. Um, I don't know. I mean, Liverpool looks so shaky generally. I mean, could you put it all down to Adrian? I think that's a bit harsh. I mean, three of the goals are deflected as well. Mm. And, and as we're going to see, I think it's just an offlier. It's just, you know, that's never going to happen again. You know, you're never going to get three deflections like that. You, Liverpool aren't going to make as many errors in a game. Gomez was terrible, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, but Villa, to be fair, were brilliant, I thought, and exploited yeah. that weakness on the right-hand side of Villa's def- of Liverpool's defence. You know, the Trent Gomez side yep. is clearly weaker than the left, where Robertson and Van Dijk are, are kind of reigning supreme, much tighter. And Grealish was over that side, and he was fantastic on the night, wasn't he? Mm. You can't deny that. He, regardless of the hall, he did play well as well. I don't know what to do with him now. I look at him now and think, maybe I've stumbled upon one of the stars of the season here. Yeah, well, we always knew he, he had it in him because, I mean, he had a great season last year and then they have strengthened massively. Like, you know, they've in terms of the transfer window, I'd say Everton and Villa have had the strongest the strongest window because they've actually bought in really, really good players and sort of got all their weaknesses they seem to to have addressed really well. So, yeah, I think I think he's a great pick and 7 million, 7.1 million. Um, I think he... He always kind of had the potential to be the standout pick. It was just how they kind of got started and you've stumbled on it early. So, yeah, fair play to you. But I'm wondering, I'm looking at your your like double Liverpool defence now. And, I mean, you've got Podence there and Jimenez is out of form and stuff. I, I Yeah, like you said, I don't think it's completely perfect. Your no, routine. no, no, not at all. <laughs> I, can't, I can't be, I mean, as I say, a Grealish, like Salah in the opening game week, I think has, has kind of masked a few defects, shall we mm. say. Um, yeah, I'm going to talk about Robertson and Alexander-Arnold later because we're going to look at... I wanted to look at Liverpool with Adrian in goal because obviously there's presumption, as I said, that they're going to be a shambles at the back without Alisson. Uh, might well be the case. It certainly mm. was a villa, but is it going to continue? I've got some data from last season that we'll go through that shows maybe that might oh, not I be had, the case. I had double Liverpool defence last year when Alisson was out and it was, it was awful, to be honest. Well, I, I had them when he was back. And uh, yeah. and then for three or four weeks, they were still bad. And then they just clicked, if you remember. So, yeah, yeah. so I'm, because of that experience last year, I'm worried about giving up too soon on them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we'll look at that later in the show. Uh, I think I think there's there's still some merit there of holding. But, but you're right. I mean, Pedence and Jimenez, Wolves' performance was a bit worrying. Um, they were very flat, weren't they? And just didn't go after Fulham at all. There's no rhythm to their play. It was, it was, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't get that many things right. But I, th- I think I said it last week. I said they're going to grind out a, a low-scoring win in this. And in the end, I'm glad I got rid of Martial. But when it got to when it got to Sunday, and I was looking at it, and I was thinking, I've taken a four-point hit to bring out Martial here. I was really, really worried about it because I was thinking, I don't know why I've done this, thinking that Wolves are not going to. Absolutely bad. I mean, he had a great chance for, you know, through on goal that you'd expect him to score. Um, but yeah, I, I really do think I dodged a bit of a bullet, a bullet with that one. Um, and I'm I'm thinking now, I mean, you know, I think we all kind of thought Jimenez at that price was was a good was a good price. But now I'm thinking, well, actually, Son's there, Kane, got Aguero coming back as well. 
who isn't a million miles off Jimenez. And he would be out of my team. He'd be the one I was probably most willing to sacrifice. So he's gone from like taking a hit to bring him in for this great run to suddenly thinking, actually, I don't really want him anymore. Yeah, in but one that, week. that's the tale of this season though, isn't it? It I is. Mean, it's so fickle. Yeah. We get a player in and within one game, we, we're looking going, mm, maybe not. And that's, that's where we are in the season and the nature mm. of what we've seen. So I think it's dangerous to think like that. I, I look at Wolves' fixtures and go, yeah, they're still good. And I look at Nuno and go, he's a man. I rate Nuno as one of the top three managers in the Premier League, probably. And and wow, I do. I think he's a fantastic manager. And I think, you know, he's trying to change Wolves' style, clearly. He's trying to rely less on the counter. Um, but top three, what, over Guardiola, Klopp and Ancelotti? Yeah, I think he's I think he's up there with those three, definitely. I mean, I yeah, Ancelotti's an outlier. I always forget Ancelotti because I can't actually believe he's in the Premier League. <laughs> I don't think I think, I don't think, I think he's up there, you know, with Klopp and Guardiola, you know, if you were looking if you were looking for a top class manager at your club, obviously Ancelotti's at the tail end of his career perhaps, but Nuno's not Nuno's probably at his peak. I would say he's in the top three managers at their peak, I would say, mm. in the Premier League. Um I really rate him. I just think he's understanding of the game. Uh, and his ability to get the best out of players. I don't think Wolves have got the, the best individuals in the world, but they're supremely well organised, and he is carefully crafting the squad. Mm. Um, but I, And he is trying to change the way the players, I think. But Traore not starting was a surprise. Yeah, I think he will start next time out at Leeds. And I think the Leeds games have... The thing is that they could do what they did to Man City at Leeds, mm. I think. I think they could be... Although I think he's trying to move away from the counter, I think we're going to see it again at Leeds, because I think... Leeds are going to, you know, empty the midfield. And I think if they don't catch Wolves, and I think Wolves have got what it takes to defend and catch them on the break. Um, if Cho always starts, I think Jimenez will do all right in that game. So I'm not I'm not giving up on him yet. Because everything's going to come through him in terms of goals and assists, I think. Well, certainly goals anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem I'm seeing is that, like, Jimenez is, is supposed to be this kind of, like, reliable, you know, he'll get you a goal and maybe two bonus or three bonus. And, and that's kind of his ceiling, really. That's how he's been for the last couple of years. But when you look at the kind of carnage that's going on, you kind of want to bring in, you, you know, if you're buying a ticket to the lottery, you want to bring in someone with a ceiling of like 20, 30 points and not someone with with around 10. So that's why I'm I'm thinking of, I mean, if, you know, in a, in a straight shot, I mean, Son and Jimenez are around the same price. You know, Son at nine, Jimenez at what, 8.6. And I'm thinking, really, I'd much rather have Son than... But Jimenez going forward. Yeah, you've got to you've got to change your structure of your team, though. Obviously. You'd have to change the structure. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. And it's like I've already got a pretty low cost front line with Calvert Lewin and Jimenez and, and, mm. and Davis. Um, so I think I want to keep that kind of structure with that amount of money up front, really. But yeah, I mean, Sun is obviously a player I've got to look at, but Grealish yeah. is in that spot for me at the moment, and it's like I said, it's really hard to look beyond him now after what he's done for me. So. Yeah. I don't know. Let's look at the great and the good league. This is Greyhead's league that he runs with us two in it and a number of uh, top-class managers as well, including the, the fabled Villa Ronca, uh, Fabio Borges, who uh, was top of the uh, Hall of Fame, no longer. Yeah. Um, but he's right up there still. Um, and, yeah, so we, you know, I came up with 59 points, 63 with a hit for the game week. And we're still mid-table. Look, it's a Vila Ronca, Vila Ronca sandwich. <laughs> I mean, just shows how badly the top managers are doing when... Well, particularly me. I mean, 2.8 million and I'm mid-table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a difficult Look, season. I mean, late riser at the bottom there got his first green arrow and he's threatened to catch us all up. And, you know, he's he's got a lot of work to do. But with the Sterling captaincy, when I saw that, I thought he was going to be in profit. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, you know it, he got the goal. And I thought when that first one went in, 
he was going to score big, and it just yeah, didn't so turn did out like that, did it? Just yeah. didn't material. Incredible game, though, wasn't it? Absolutely amazing. I mean, my my kind of worry when, when I saw this this table was I looked at team value, and I'm looking at like Tom Freeman, FPL General, and Late Riser, all with 101 team value, uh, and then you've got Sean Tobin, who's got the most there with 101.5, and Magnus Carlsen with 101.4. So they're clearly sort of prioritising getting in the yeah. I don't the think they played risers. the wild card either, though. I'm not sure. Late Riser has. Yeah, Late Riser definitely has. I'm not sure Sean yeah, or, not, not or sure Magnus Carson has. But I mean, my my team value dropped down to 99.9 at one point, um, which is why I, I acted decisively before the internationals. And I've, I've made my transfers and I've already gained 0.4 on those moves. And it could be 0.6 by the end of the international break. So yeah, you do care about team value. So yeah, we talked last time of me saying, oh no, I don't really care about team value and all that. I looked, I booked it and I thought, actually, I'd, I can't wait until until the end of the internationals to get these players in because, well, firstly, I won't be able to afford them. And secondly, I'm going to be down to about 99.7 or 6 or something. That's yeah. the lowest. That's the lowest I'd, I'd ever have been. So, yeah, I'm starting to care a little bit more. It's the psychological <laughs> effect of that, isn't it? Because yeah. like, I, I don't like it. Either. It's not so much the rises. It's the drops I don't like. I don't like having players because I was looking at it as well. And obviously the tools are all trying to catch up with wildcard transfers. So they're never accurate. Um, during this period because there's so many wildcard transfers going on. But on on Sunday night, I was looking at who was going down. I looked at like five of my players were due to go yeah. down. That didn't, that didn't happen. But I expect over the course of the international break, I'm going to lose some money. But I, I'm going to have to deal with that. Um, you must be happy you got rid of Adams. Yeah. I mean, it ter- it's turned out exactly <laughs> as I thought. In the, I thought if Adams doesn't score, he'll go down again. And he has. Mm. And yeah, I... I'm like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't make a profit because Cavalier got me the goal, but I spent four points, so I broke yeah. even. But it's meant I could, you know, have not to worry about doing that transfer. This exactly, Paisley did that transfer for free. Yeah, so it, it it was a good move. I got away with that one. I think I was worried about Adams and Ings, but it just didn't materialise for him, did it? No. Um, it's just, I mean, as we'll see in a bit, the the tacking date for Southampton is pretty disappointing, quite surprising. Mm. Um, you want to look at the top 10,000 managers, though, and in particular the transfers that they made. So we've got a table here. Just talk us through it as what we're looking at here with the top 10K transfers. Yes, there's a great account on Twitter, um, at MyFPLAnalysis. He, every week, will publish the stats for the game week just gone on the on the top 10K. So it's the moves they've made. It's the highest and lowest point scorers. It's really, really interesting stuff. So I really strongly suggest everyone, everyone checks it out. Um, and we're going to have like kind of a bit of a top 10k corner because I think now we've got four weeks in the top 10k is maybe shaping up. Um, you know, it's not just all complete blind luck like it might have been in the first few weeks. So as the season progresses, obviously people want to get into the top 10k. It's a very prestigious rank to have. It's kind of what we what we aim for as a, as a minimum as kind of serious players. Uh, it's the status, isn't it? You know, top 10k. It's got a certain yeah. It's kind of established. Yeah, it's kind of established now as the mark, as the benchmark, isn't it? Mm. You, you want to try and hit, um, and it, it's achievable, but it's not easy. Um, yeah. So it's it's a it's a nice benchmark to have for sure. Exactly. So the, the two things I was looking at this week were firstly the transfers out of the top ten k. So uh, you know, part of the reason they're in the top ten k is probably because they've had some because he got that big haul um, a few a few weeks ago. So obviously, take it with a bit of a pinch of salt at this stage. But when you look at the transfers and the transfers people have bought in, so the most popular transfers for the top 10K were Son to Mares, 730 managers, Son to Rodriguez, okay, that, that was all right, so 514, Son to Barnes, Harvey Barnes, blank, Son to Zaha, blank, Son to Havertz, one assist for Havertz. I mean, I can't believe Havertz was, was up there. He doesn't look like someone I've 
have thought people would be Before bringing the in. Palace game as well, yeah. No, but 200 people did. Uh, and then Son to De Bruyne, Son to Rashford, Son to Williams. So all of these top transfers are Son to someone. Um, and then Son to Madison as well is in there. So out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out of the eight players people brought in, seven blank, uh, six blanked, one got an assist and then one got, got a sort of a decent return. So that is, I mean, that is a brutal list, really, I thought, from, you know, all these players. I mean, you know, you look at Mares and Barnes, De Bruyne, Rashford, even Madison. I mean, he's, he's been coming off the bench, but sort of getting, he has been getting, looking quite good. And again, a good fixture against West Ham on paper. So, yeah, brutal, right? But it's Marino's fault. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, like, there's no way managers in the top 10k would have made those transfers. Maybe yeah. they might, someone might have done Santa de Bruyne, maybe Santa Rodriguez, maybe, but I don't think so. Had they thought some was available, no. And the thing is, the way the way that transpired, though, did you? I didn't fall for. I mean, I'm not a Sun owner, but I don't think I'd have fallen for it because I, I, I. It was just a bit odd the way Marino talked about the substitution. Yeah, like he he, yeah. he he took Sun off after 45 minutes. And then post-match, they said to him, oh, son's got an injury. And he didn't go, yeah, yeah, he's injured. He kind of went, yeah, just, uh, he didn't actually say, yeah, he just said there'd be more to come as well. He was like insinuating that he'd have to, you know, he'd suffer more injuries because of the schedule. Mm. And um, so that was a bit odd. And then 10 minutes later, it came out that he'd done his hamstring. But I thought at the time, I thought, that's very odd that why didn't you just go, yeah, he's injured, done his hamstring there and then, and he didn't. It's almost like mm. the question took him by surprise and he wasn't prepared to answer it. Mm. And so obviously 10 minutes later in the press zone, he was fully prepared. Well, the rumours are that he just, he took him off at half time yeah. because he thought they were going to kind of win it comfortably and he wanted to give him a bit of a break. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, to me, he didn't look injured in that first half. He didn't, at any time, we didn't see him clutching his hamstring. Normally for players feeling his hamstring, he literally mm. feels his hamstring. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I didn't see any tweets saying, oh yeah, we saw that. So we, there was a lot of people on Twitter going, hmm, that's a bit suspicious. And then, you know, as the week went on, the comments became even more kind of vague, didn't they, about him. Mm. Well, he he's, he might have a chance, but I think it's a big, big outside chance. And it's like, okay. You know, he was preparing it, you know, to, to play him, wasn't he? Yeah. And so I felt sorry for people who sold Sun early because I think as the week went on, it became clearer and clearer yeah, yeah. that he was going to play, I think. But if you got it out early, which people might have done, I don't know whether they're anticipating a drop in price or whether there was a rise in price and a player they wanted. So, yeah. It's, I, th- I it's think it's, 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 it's really tricky because, you I mean, you're, you're yeah. at a stage where you're trying to kind of, a lot of people are, are kind of trying to chase points already and they're kind of worrying because they're 2 million, 3 million in the rankings. And you see an injury like Son to a kind of 25% owned player as a kind of an opportunity to maybe bring in someone who is less owned. So like Mares, the top transfer there, you know, I think he he was a great shout against against Leeds. We didn't know really know what we were going to get from that game. It was a, such an open, incredible game that I think anyone with Man City players was unlucky not to get you know mega hauls from all their players. It could easily have been a six all or a five all. It just played at such a kind of frantic pace pace that game. So I mean, I would have made the move if I had Son and I heard those comments and I was I wasn't sure um, you know what was happening. I probably would have would have taken him out and and, and got in a play who I knew was at least gonna gonna start. So yeah, I've got big sympathy for all those who who did that. Um, I mean, you know, if you did Santa Rodriguez, then I think you're 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 you'll probably be quite happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you want Son back, won't you? That's the thing as well. I mean, mm. I, I know. That I think it was Vida Vonka who transferred him out for game week two, back in for yeah. three, and out for four. I mean, some others would have done that. Vida Vonka unquestionably one of the best FPL managers around. Yeah. 
fell victim to that. And yeah, I mean, I, I it's it's we know now with Marino, we've got. To, I mean, maybe we didn't trust him anyway, but we certainly we've got to be very careful. Well, we're I mean, building up a list, aren't we, of yeah. managers that we just can't trust. You've got Solskjaer there. You've got Lampard there with Pulisic. You've got Mourinho. It does seem like there's a, there is more kind of. They are keeping the cards closer to the chest. So yeah, I guess that's the learning, isn't it? Just just be a bit cautious with with what these guys are saying, and especially what you read on you know online from kind of non valid sources. Um, just just yeah, just just make sure what the information you're getting is as accurate as possible. I mean, it feels like it can't really get any more accurate than coming from the managers themselves, and even that's not. Well, true I mean, he, he was playing games, wasn't he? I think yeah. I think you're you're probably spot on in that. I think he felt he wanted to rest him and felt mm. that he did, perhaps wouldn't have needed him, and then he didn't want to look. He wanted to save face, I bet, I guess, and say so, yeah, it was. It was, a, it was who knows? I mean, it's speculation, but yeah, it's just so unlucky that Sun delivered as well, and yeah. and, and he benefited from another defence like he did against Southampton, which was Shambot. I mean, United's defending for that first goal was just. I mean, yeah. Ridiculous, um, wasn't it? Maguire chucking Shaw yeah. to the ground, and it's just a comical, like, you could put the Benny Hill theme tune to a lot of the defending and <laughs> probably would have yeah, a I, fitting soundtrack. It was absolutely embarrassing. I mean, that's what's so crazy about it, was you didn't think it could get any more embarrassing for a team than that. And then Liverpool, that Liverpool game was even worse somehow. It's absolutely crazy, crazy week. The craziest week. I can never remember in football. Well, as we'll see later on, it, it can't continue, surely. Um, let's look at the top 10K template, the template team. Um, yes. You're going to talk us through this then. Who's in goal yeah. there? McCarthy. Yeah. So so in terms of who the most owned players are in the top 10K that fits a kind of a, a standard formation, you've got McCarthy, 28% owned in the top 10K. And you've got Trent, 46%. James Justin, 40%. And Robertson, 27%. And then you've got Salah. So his effective ownership last game, it was 111%. And so for people that don't really kind of understand what that means, um, what it means, it takes into account the captaincy as well. So in essence, if everyone owned Salah in the game and no one captained him, he'd have an, an ownership of 100%. If everyone captained him, he'd have an effective ownership of 200%. Now, what that means is if you own Salah and his effective ownership is above 100%, you will lose rank pretty much to the people because other people have captained him because his ownership is higher than yours. So you don't actually get any benefit from owning Salah um, or limited benefit. You do, obviously, compared to the people that don't own him at all. Um, so it puts you in a kind of an awkward place when you own him because you don't really want him to go too mad because mm. it will actually hinder your your rank. So he was someone that I, I did briefly consider having as a captain, but to be fair, I always had it on De Bruyne. I think De Bruyne was, you know, at least on Twitter and on Fantasy Scout, De Bruyne was the kind of the, the most captained player that I saw. Uh, you obviously went for, for Jimenez, who had Fulham at home, so you're completely understandable. But seeing that, again, 111% just shows that Salah is the kind of go-to pick still for, for people. Yeah, I, I was surprised. We never really considered him because of that Villa defence. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I felt that Salah away from home, only four goals last season, there were still a few question marks over him. And Villa's defence has been very secure in the small sample of data we've got. Uh, they defended quite well, but they couldn't stop Salah. He, he, he took yeah. his chances. Um, and with Mane out as well, he does tend to do better. Well, so again, that's the that's the popular narrative, but I'm still well, I'm still not buying into that. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, just so some other top ten K template players. So De Bruyne's there, forty five percent, so quite low, um, and and dropping uh, dropping as well, dropping in price. Uh, then you've got James Rodriguez, thirty four percent. 
Zaha, 27% is an interesting one. Uh, never been a player that I particularly liked FPL-wise, um, but being backed in the top 10K. And then you've got Calvert-Lewin, 61%. That's going to increase even more. Vardy, 53%, and Kane, 39%. So again, this list, we're kind of showing it at the moment because it's it's still quite interesting. But obviously, these are the kind of high-scoring players. So obviously, they're going to be in the top 10K. So take it with a bit of a pinch of salt. But it'll be interesting to see how this template shifts throughout the, throughout the season. And um, yeah, see how you can use this ownership stuff to... I mean, I, I would suggest using this data to find players who you think are too highly owned and you can bring in better players to do it rather than panicking and bringing in Trent because he's highly owned. I think I would use it to go the opposite way. Yes, I mean, I, I look at it and think, well, I, you know, I'll keep Grealish because I don't want to do the Grealish to Rodriguez because of this, you know, the, the, the ownership yeah. above me is high. And I actually think Grealish can keep pace with Rodriguez yeah, as well. absolutely. Um, Zaha surprising now. I mean, we haven't got Kane and Son in there, so we expect those to be the new entries when we look at this next time in a couple of weeks. We'll see probably Son in there and maybe Kane as well, the way it's going. Um, Vardy would be the one to drop out. Oh, Kane is in there, sorry, but Vardy would be the one to drop out, I think. Um, and we'll see Son. Maybe we'll switch to five in midfield, but mm. I don't know. It's, it's going to be free at the back, though, for... Because of what's happened, yeah. because of the avalanche of goals and the mistrust of defences, lack of clean sheets, it's going to be three four three or or three five two. I think for a long, yeah. long time. And I've I've made I've made that switch. So I was four at the back with two very cheap defenders, and yeah, that was one of the reasons why I, I took the hit sweep to to shift my formation around and and back the three strikers again. Because yeah, I want in. I want in on the on the goals. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting one because I I I've you know. I've got Brewster up front now. That was my transfer this week. And I'm going to probably stick with that. I was talking about the pay structure of my team. And I don't know how often I'm going to play free up front. I mean, it depends how Brewster does. But I, the, the problem I've got with going free higher price strikers is you are turning your back on Brewster. And Brewster could well turn out to be a regular starter who could get oh. between 10 and 15 oh. goals. Oh. You don't Ten. see him. No, I'm sorry. I mean, it. Sheffield United at the moment are just looking so toothless. I think my my problem with Brewster is that he blocks you from having one of those. I mean, there's, there's so many strikers. So you think form. the opposite. You think, I think he's the blocking opposite. you. Yeah, I think the opposite. I think I think he's blocking you from getting in one of the one of the top. I mean, not even one of the top strikers. I think you know when you've got like Antonio, you've got Mope, you've got Bamford, and you've got all these kind of players that are, are doing well at, at around the six million mark. They're the ones I'm. I mean, Callum Wilson as well. There's just so many options at, at striker, and having having that four point five means you can't move between those. Easily, no, absolutely. So. But at the same time, I look at it and go, I don't think we can write Brewster off as someone who's just going to be bench fodder yet. I mean, he's a good player and Sheffield United are creating chances. They're just not taking them as we're going to see in a bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, nobody knows. Talk really about, what unpro- you, you know, your, your strategy of not backing unproven players. He hasn't even played a game well, in the friendship before. I'm only backing him at the moment as bench fodder. <laughs> but what I'm saying is he might not be. He might not be just bench fodder. Um, mm. I don't know yet, but I'm, I'm, I wanted to get him in just in case he doesn't turn out to be the bench fodder. And there's every chance he could be. I mean, you know, I'm not, it's not a risk, is it, getting him in yet? It depends on what you've got elsewhere. I mean, I think... My team's going to change, as you'll see later, to three-five-two. It's got it's got to accommodate the, the increasing goals. Mm. But I just think with Booster there, I wanted to get him in to see to see what he does and see what he turns into because it could be anything. He could just be bench fodder, and we never play him, and he's there if we need him. Come off the bench and get two points, or if he clicks, then suddenly it's like, well, 
I maybe need to get this guy in and free up money for more in midfield. So he, he's going to be quite a vital component, I think, of, of the season. If you're, if you're playing, if you're if you're continuing with two strikers, he is essential. I think you know. I I don't personally think playing two strikers is the way to go, but I think if you are, he is essential because he's the only player at that price who regularly starts. And you know, you, you've already made the move from Davis, who went you dropped point one. Um, and yeah, of course, he has the potential to to, to do. And we've seen four point five strikers do well in the past. I mean, Harry Kane was a four point five striker back in them. I and if he emulates that that record, then it'd be impressive, especially for Sheffield United at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I can completely see the logic um, of getting him. Just, just, it's. I guess it's a low risk type thing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I find it interesting because, like, the midfield is was seen as the dominant source of points, and yet people are advocating three up front rather than five in midfield. Why do you think that is? Why, why didn't we not just go, yeah, lots of goals, let's get five midfielders? Why is it lots of goals? We've got to have three strikers. Because I, I would say that strikers historically have been have been the players who get who get the goals and get the points, and we, we it's been very rare for us to have so many strikers yeah, performing. That is true at at this kind of level. So I mean I can remember last season or the season before struggling to even pick three or four of like decent strikers. And the fact that a lot of the strikers have got penalties now really helps. You know, Wilson, Antonio, Jimenez, Mope, all these guys have, have got the penalties in their locker as well. So I think it's it is a it is a good time. It is a good time to be to be going for them. Um but equally I think four at the back is still viable, you know, with um I, I think the Liverpool double up maybe a bit less, but you know Trent and Robertson are still going to keep Getting the attacker to them in the corners and set plays and still having more goal attempts than anyone else. And then you've got Dean, Chilwell, Samedo. Like you can still make a case for four at the back, too. Um, but yeah, I think I think the the, the time is to be pushing the money into the more attacking. Oh areas. yeah, absolutely. But I, I see I still see the midfield as a viable alternative to go in three up front. I, mm. I really do. And I think that, you know, Brewster is is has the potential to be a, a gold right and we don't know yet and, that, and that's why I kind of think well I'll get him in and then we'll see how he goes and I might not need to go three heavier or three bigger strikers I might be able to because I'm looking at Jimenez to Antonio and cheapening the forward line any even more yeah, yeah and bringing in Sun maybe over Grealish later on because I think Sun Sun yeah I, I buy into Sun more than Kane for some reason I don't know whether mm. I see the Kane form as a flash in the pan or whether I, I've just have more faith in Sun. I don't know what it is, but I guess the bail factor is something that we've got to see with both those players. But yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking more about strengthening and putting money into the midfield rather than up front. But I know that mm. Joe's an advocate of free up front this season, and you are now as well. So he's again a little bit of a difference between us. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting. Well, I mean, the, the other thing with midfielders is, I mean, around the kind of five to six point five mark, there isn't really an amazing amount of choice. I mean, you've got Suchek at five who. He's been unlucky not to get more points than, than he has. Um, you know, I've got like Pereira. People are getting sick of Foden already at 6.6. Uh, Podence as well, you know, didn't couldn't get anything against Fulham. And I still think there's a bit of a, a bit of a rotation risk there. So I mean, like around that five to six point five mark, there isn't you're not blessed with that many options, whereas you are in with strikers, you know, Watkins at five point nine. I mean, what an absolute bargain it is it is for him. So I think that that is why people are moving. Are moving, they're moving that way because you can you can basically get the cheaper strikers and then strengthen your midfield and having like Son and um, you know Pulisic is coming in and that and then you've got your cheaper strikers as well. So I guess that's why people are doing it. But, yeah, no, yeah. I see it. I mean, it, it, there's definitely going to be a split between managers that do that. I think there'll be a, quite mm. a few people who have got Davis who will go Davis to Booster like I've done and will and will hope that Booster yeah maybe becomes more than the bench fodder. 
Um, but I look at it and think, well, you know, I if I can go Antonio, Jimenez to Antonio, I can get, you know, Harvey Barnes and Grealish or Harvey Barnes and Rodriguez and Suchek as my fifth midfielder and two heavy hitters, and that's pretty powerful. Mm. But is it as powerful as going with Callum Wilson and, and, and Watkins and players like that? It's going to divide people. Yeah. And that's it. It's going to make the season more interesting. And it's really ironic, isn't it? Because we have got a choice of strikers. And I think that a few seasons back, we were looking at the player list going, it's a bit worrying, the lack of no, no. striker options. Like, you know, there's like five or six and that's it. Whereas yeah. now it's 10, isn't it? 10, 12. Maybe. Yes, it's, it's amazing. And I mean, it's interesting as well, when you think about the start of the season and the player, you know, we were saying, oh, we're blessed with all this kind of choice. There's so many premium picks. How are we going to get them in? Now it's almost like, well, I'm, I want to get in more but like budget and medium price. I haven't got enough striker spots. I want Antonio Wilson, Bamford, Mope, all the all these guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it just shows this season. There's, there's so I've I've never known a season with so much like potential for points from so many different players. Um, I mean, you look you look like you've got someone like Rodriguez. Like neither of us have got him. We both accept that he's a brilliant player and, and Everton are good and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, last season. You've got a player like that playing for a team like Everton, he'd be absolutely nailed on to bring in. But because we've got so many other players to consider, he's he's not really entering into I'm, my I'll, thinking. I'll put it out there again. I'm still not convinced. Really? I'm still not mm. convinced that... I mean, he's a brilliant player and he's incredibly creative and he's doing wonders for Everton. And I don't, not, I'm not knocking him as a player. But as a fantasy asset, I'm still looking at... I had a look. He's had seven touches in the box in total. That's all. Um... He's got. He had the two goals, obviously, last time out. But Richarlison had gone off, and Everton had changed shape a bit because of that. And he was getting. I think he got in the box more because of that. It, but added balance him getting forward more. But naturally, I think in a typical Everton game, he doesn't get into the penalty. Well, the stats prove he doesn't get into the penalty area enough. Um, and so he's going to rely on strikes from outside the box. I think mm. in the main, his assists are going to possibly going to be enough though he's, he's, he's you know he could be 15 to 20 assists um so i i'm still not like jumping in with both feet on rodriguez i, I still think we've you know obviously got Grealish and there's barnes in that price bracket as well i think they have more goal for it they haven't statistically because he's got three goals to his name but i think that over a longer period we'll see those two score more goals than rodriguez i think so it's good i think it's more even than we think he really what is he really worries me who um, rodriguez yeah just, is, it, just, is he a player you fear, though? Again, I look at him and think he's not someone I fear going into a game week. He is. I'd say, yeah, I'd say, you, okay. I'd say he is. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the ownership does does come into that because everyone I see when their dogs kind of got him in, in their team at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was I was worried with him scoring sort of close range goals. I know he's not really getting into the box much, but the fact he is, you know, in, in a game, he is still doing, he is doing that. Um, the set pieces he's got, the, the shots he's got, the, just the general creativity he's, he's kind of like a Sigurdsson type player and you know how good Sigurdsson was a few years ago he's like that sort of you know times 10 <laughs> um yeah I don't know I don't think he is Sigurdsson was a at his prime was a very good goal scorer he was a 10 to 15 goals a season man I don't know if Rodriguez is yet I mean you look at his track record when he was at his best six seven years ago yeah he was right mm. but we know he doesn't hasn't got the physicality and the energy to sprint like he used to have, right? And the stats show that as well. So he's perhaps not. I don't think you can compare him to Sigurdsson's goal. You don't think you don't yet. think you'll get 10, 15 goals a season? I don't know. I don't know. 
I, I don't think I'm not certain. I'm certain he'll get that many assists, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't th- that, that talk of him assisting the assist. I don't think there's much in that. But I don't know yet if he's a, a 10 to 15 goal midfielder. And I think Barnes and Grealish could be more so. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean, now I think I'm going to get a lot of flat for saying Sigurdsson's a better player than I <laughs> but I didn't say that just to be clear. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I just yeah. I think I think if you if you've got Rodriguez at seven point five, I think he he is. He, you know, he he would be still be the player that I want oh, over yeah. over yeah. Grealish and Barnes. But you know, now he's okay. approaching the eight eight million eight point five. Well, if he approaches the eight point five mark, he isn't completely ridiculous. I mean, he's nearly, I think he's nearly eight now. Is he seven point eight? Is he now seven point nine? Um. Yeah, I don't know. I think looking at the team, seeing how how Everton are using him and how kind of central he is to all the good things that Everton are doing, he's exactly the kind of player that I'd normally go for. So I think that's probably why I'm worried about him because I, I feel like I should have him because I love that kind of player and uh, I haven't got him. So Well, I'm going to give you more reason to be worried about him when we start <laughs> looking at, at team data so far. Um, and I've, I've picked out three teams here that we really should look at in detail and they are Everton, West Ham and Villa because I think of the season so far they have been you know the standout teams that we didn't expect like we were going to the season thinking obviously the City and Liverpool Spurs, Chelsea, Chelsea in particular I think we expected a lot from at this stage but Everton, West Ham and Villa were you know Everton were making moves in the transfer market we thought they would improve but they've exceeded expectation and West Ham and Villa in the last couple of game weeks have just stood out so I think at this data, if you look at it here, you know, top number top, the top table we've got is minutes per, is sorted by minutes per XG. Top number top, 39.5. Then you've got Liverpool, then Everton on 43.6. So Everton are third for expected goals so far, um, which is, um, you know, not what we expected, but that's the Rodriguez effect. And obviously mm. the other player that's a problem here is Calvert-Lewin. Um, if you had Calvert-Lewin, which you have now, and I've got him as well. Do you are you happy though doubling up on that Everton attack? I guess looking at this stat, you would be. But is there any question mark over that over doubling on them? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too worried about it at the moment. I mean, you're backing the informed team after you know. Well, I mean, you could even argue the Liverpool game is a good fixture for them, <laughs> given given what happened. Um, you know, and, th- and then some good fixtures to come. So. I think that the triple up, I mean, I see a few people with the triple up with Dean Rodriguez and and Cavalier. I don't know Andy's got the triple up, kind of very reliant on Everton getting a, a win. They're surely not going to win every match this season. But no, I think I think the the, the Rodriguez Cavalier is, is a good is a good mix because you've got a high chance that you're going to get an assist and a goal from those two players in, in any match. So I wouldn't be I wouldn't be worried about having having both. Yeah, and, I, and I, I mean, I started with Dean, I still got him, and Rodriguez has really reduced his role on set plays. So, you know, I've, I've got to concede that Rodriguez is, is hogging those more. I mean, at the start of the season, Dean looked like he was going to mm. share them, but it's not the case now. So that's that's a, definitely a blow. So I thought I was quite happy with Dina and Calvert-Lewin, but now that's come in, I am thinking, you know, that's that's a blow. So is Dina, mm. whether I go to Rodriguez, probably not, because of the Grealish factor at the moment, but... Dino is someone I'm looking probably to get out. Um, But having said that, look at the lower table and defensive data, minutes per XG conceded. Everton are top, 117 minutes per expected goal conceded. But it doesn't matter when they've got Pickford in goal. Well, this is exactly it. (laughs) That's the problem. Um, Look at the goal Mopé scored. I mean, if if ever a goal summed up Pickford's form and, and whatever you want to call it, 
I don't want to say his ability, because, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously he is a good goalkeeper. He's made some amazing saves. He's put some amazing performances for England. Penalty shootout win is, you know, one of the greatest moments I've, I've seen from England in a long time. So I don't want to completely write him off, but you you can't, you cannot have a, a, a team like Everton who are trying to break into the top four, maybe even go higher, and have Pickford in goal. It's exactly the same as Chelsea and Kepa. He is not good enough to play consistently for a top team. And that's, yeah. that shows it, because they're conceding way too many goals, and they should be. Yeah. Um, defensively, they're very strong. Minutes per chance conceded, they're right up there, 11.10. I think that's, um, let me see, that's that's third overall. Um, minutes per big chance conceded, they're, they're second. Um, so defensively, very, very sound. But the goals they're conceding, Pickford is 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 vulnerability, isn't it? And and I don't know. I don't know whether Ancelotti's going to lose faith in him. It doesn't look like it. He's certainly not going to be fickle and get and, and you know replace him straight away. They did get a goalkeeper in the transfer. They window, did. But imagine if they'd got Romero. That would have been that would have been some signing if United had made a massive mistake on United's part. I think if they'd let him go. But yeah, if they'd got in Sergio, I think they would be a real. Then I'd really be looking yeah. at. Getting yeah, their defence, but Ancelotti's back in Pickford all the way. Uh, it is a strange transformation because three or four seasons ago, when he was at Sunderland, Pickford looked mm. absolutely incredible. And when Everton got in that first season, I thought, well, they've got a steal here because this guy over the next 10 years is going to yeah. be far away the best keeper in the country. Yeah. And just it's, I don't sometimes goalkeeper form is inexplicable, you can't mm. really understand what happens. And he hasn't got a crowd behind him in the stadium, so the pressure is less, but. You think, your speculation, but I just don't understand what's going on with his game. I don't know what's, you know, maybe it's no. an off the pitch thing. I don't know. I mean, Everton, when you're playing in a team playing well as well, you'd think that would lift him and give him more confidence. But yeah, yeah. It, it's hard because, like we say, I look at Dino and think, well, really, I should be getting returns and I should be thinking about keeping him because of this data showing Everton's defence as the most solid so far. But Pickford is the factor. Um, and, and that's the issue. Let's go back to the attacking data. Look at Man City there, mid-table. Um, their minutes per XG, 71.5. I mean, last season, it was it was very, very different. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's just it's just crazy. So minutes per big chance at the moment, it's 57, right? So every 57 minutes, they're creating a big chance. Last season, it was 25.7. It was half that. Yeah. So, so far this season, they've created big chances at, at double, well, double the minutes, effectively. It's just not happening, and it's it's a lack of a striker at the moment. So I guess we're all hoping Aguero is is going to be back, and the the images that we're seeing and the and the noise on Twitter is that he could be. Yeah, I mean Wolves, Leicester, and and Leeds. I mean these aren't. I don't even know what a tough game is anymore, but like they're not games that I would expect City to maybe be doing. You know, hitting some of the numbers that they they would. Have. It's not like they're playing Watford at home, and, you know, seeing things and. Not having a striker in the squad, I think, really does hinder them. I mean, Sterling is an absolutely fantastic player. False nine, that role he's playing, he's just he's just not not well, he's just not as good, is he? Um, so I think having Aguero back, he's back in training, is, is going to be absolutely massive for them. And it'd be interesting to see what what happens because surely they're going to start. Their team is too good to be mid. I mean, below <laughs> below Brighton, below Aston Villa, below West Ham. I, that's not gonna. That's not gonna be the case at the end of the season in terms of minutes. No, I mean it, it's it's one of the many things I think that's going to change. But we need Aguero. It, it's clear that when they lose their striker, when they don't have Jesus or Aguero, that 
it, it disrupts them in a big way, clearly. Um, they've still got fantastic players, but the system doesn't work anywhere near as effectively when it comes to creating big chances, or it hasn't so far. And Arsenal next, it's not that's not easy, is it? I mean, no. Teta knows them inside out. He knows the blueprint. So it's not, I don't think it's even, I don't think Aguero is going to be back for that game. I, it, it does seem too soon, but who knows? I mean, he's not a player normally that recovers quickly, and yet we're led to believe he is going to be back soon, or we hope. But I don't think he'll make the Arsenal game. His record, his record as soon as he's back from injury isn't good either. Is it not? Right, OK. No. So he struggles to get up to speed. Particularly, it, well, especially in the first match. Maybe it's bizarrely, it's a player I don't know well because traditionally I've never owned Aguero for long periods of any of my fancy seasons, which is bizarre, isn't it? But he's a player that somehow I've got away with not owning a lot. Mm. And I don't see I remember when you, were on the, um, when you were on the FPL show and you, you were determined to go without him and he was banging them in every week and you... You caved in in the end. Was that Aguero? I think it was. I, but, I mean, I have had seasons where I've had to give in, definitely. Mm. But somehow, why would this be? Why would my relationship with Aguero be rocky? He's done nothing to me. He's done nothing <laughs> wrong. I don't really understand why. I think I've always been a Kane lover and I always kind of saw them as going head to head. And mm. I was always a supporter of, no, Kane's on his way up, Aguero's on his way down. And I've always kind of had that narrative in my head. And convince myself that's correct. And I never got out of it. And so when you say things like, oh, yeah, Aguero never recovers quickly from injuries, I wouldn't know because I've never had it. And, you know, obviously you pay more attention well, the to opposite, players yeah. in your team, don't you? Well, it's the opposite of me because I always try and get him in as soon as he's he's back back and fit because I know what he's... I mean, you must be like not only one of the only manage, fantasy managers around who has a sort of poor relationship with Aguero anyway, you must be the only successful manager who's got a poor relationship with Aguero given what he's done over the last Yeah, I, I, last I, I, I don't know. I look back at my... I, I, I maybe should look at my seasons where I got high ranks and see what happened there. I mean, mate, that must be the seasons where, you know, Salah did well for me in that season. Mm. I came 115th and in the season I came 42nd, probably Kane did it. Um, so, yeah. I mean, maybe I would have got higher ranks more often had I backed Aguero. Probably. Probably five I mean, goal, five I, goal Aguero is I my, know. probably I, my greatest. Those halls, I don't think. Yeah, I mean the halls he's had over the season. Those Newcastle games, I seem to remember, stick in my memory as painful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Spurs, lots scoring against Spurs. Yeah, and there was that game against Leicester where he got a hat trick, I think, and Smichael kicked the ball straight to him. And I remember yeah. watching that, and I, I didn't I'm have him thinking, for that, and I remember it well. Oh, and I was thinking, <laughs> how fortunate is this player? And, and again, you, it's very strange, how you end up like this. I can't explain why I've never had Aguero a lot in my teams. And That's I can't crazy. explain why I build this kind of bias against him. Because I always, I always, <laughs> so like I always look for a reason not to get Aguero. There's got to be, and Kane has obviously provided that in previous seasons. I don't, I can't explain it. It's something maybe I've got to get because, over. Because I'm, I'm thinking when Aguero's fit and I can, I could potentially move um, De Bruyne over to him. Right. And have a and have a real differential pick. I mean, ten point three is the lowest Aguero's ever been in in the in the Premier League since he's been here. Um, De Bruyne, I mean, you know, essential after his first week against Wolves, and then two two blanks. Um, De Bruyne's a funny one, isn't Because he's got the penalty, so you're always going to have the chance of getting a return. Um, but sometimes you watch him, and I didn't see it that much last season, but I've seen it in previous seasons with him. Where like he drops deep, obviously he's so good dropping deep, playing passes, and then City break and he's just not there. He's not even on your screen. They've got every other attacking player up, and De Bruyne's yeah. just kind of 
milling around the thing. And it's really, really irritating. And it's funny see. because I had him and his captain. I was watching De Bruyne in the Leeds game going, right, I don't want to see him getting into the box. And, it, and it, I was, it's bizarre because you know, I own the player, but I know that other people, many other people have got him captain. So I didn't yeah. want him to go mad. Um, and that's a really strange situation. That is when, you, when you've got your player, but you don't want him to score heavily because I've yeah, the captain. I it's not it a lie. I mean, I hate that. No, yeah. I don't like it. But I did notice he was playing very deep. Well, not very deep, but he was definitely sitting more in the two rather than pushing into yeah, the well, it's, it's, it's kind of It's what you get. I mean, when, when City are uh, struggling, maybe not so much struggling, but when they're playing in a, in a, in a match like that where they, you know, they need to get a foothold in the game, it makes sense to drop him back and have him orchestrate things. When they're when they're absolutely battering teams and when they're stuff, he goes up forward and he's involved in literally everything in the final third and gets absolutely massive hauls. It, it, it you know, for, for as long as City are struggling in the way that they are, I'm a bit less confident with having De Bruyne because I think he might be used more in that kind of more in that in that deeper role in the so Harry actually, Kane role. Can't you? In the Harry Kane role, exactly. Yeah. So having having Aguero or Sterling, I think at the moment probably is maybe well, Aguero. But, not do, but do you not fit. think like if Aguero is going to bang goals in De Bruyne has got to be assisting him so do you not yeah. think I mean that that's the thing I, I look at De Bruyne and go well if other players are going to do well he is going to be part of that he's going to play mm. a big factor in that whereas you know we I don't see that with necessarily Aguero and Sterling like Man City can win three or four nil and Sterling doesn't have to get in the points it's, there's a good chance he will but perhaps not as good a chance as De Bruyne because of his involvement but De Bruyne's one of the most expensive players in the game now. So that was that was fine to cover Aguero a few years ago when he was nine nine point five. Now with De Bruyne at eleven point five and Aguero a million one point two million less, I think I think there is a isn't I don't think it's quite as easy as that because if 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 Aguero is going to be the main striker again at City for ten point three, I want a part of that. If you're doubling up with them, that's you know quarter of your budget. Well, <laughs> really, it's, it's a short. Budget. Two sh- players. Surefire way of getting one over on me because I'm never going to have him. Yeah, I know. Okay. I mean, if, I, if, I'm not, that. <laughs> if I'm not going to have him in a season when he was at his best, I'm not going to have him at this point where um, I, I, I think it's cruel to say he's probably, on, you know, dipping in, in kind of ability, but I don't think he's at his peak, is he? So, and coming back from an injury, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting. I think mm. you know, I, He's going to add an exciting thing into the mix when he is back. Yeah, I, I'm not one to ask on Aguero. I'm a poor judge of him, clearly. Um, and I'm biased completely. I don't know. I can't explain why. Um, what do you make of West Ham and Villa then? Because they're up here on this, this chart. Um, West Ham are sitting fifth at the moment for minutes per XG. And Villa just behind them. Obviously, the thing about Villa as well, you know, they have played a smaller number of games. They've only had three yeah. games so far, but that doesn't affect the minutes per XG. But so, but that Liverpool game certainly does. Is it too early to judge those two teams or are they actually going to be gold over the season? I mean, Villa, Villa, Villa I can kind of understand because, you know, like I said earlier, I think they, they did make some brilliant signings. I'd seen Watkins in the championship and he, he looked like he was, you know, I mean, the, the playoff final um, was disappointing. Um, Brentford in general were disappointing in that game. He he was as well, but you know, in the other games I saw, he always looked like a really good, like a genuinely really good player. When they bought him, I thought, yeah, he's going to be a great player for them. Signing Grealish, obviously, they sorted their defence out with got in cash. I think's really good at right back. Um, just generally made some some great signings. So I mean, obviously, I'm not, I wasn't expecting them to score that many goals against Liverpool, but I did think, yeah, there's going to be some options that they emerge from them now, maybe outside of just Grealish, like it was last year. But West Ham. I mean, I looked at West Ham's fixture list at the start of the season and I just thought, well, Moyes, no way Moyes is going to be there, you know, by game week five. I, well, well, he's know. not there, is he, to be fair? He's well, he is, virtually, virtually there. Um, and 
it is incredible. I mean, you look at you look at all the options that are suddenly emerging. I mean, you've got Masuaku playing out of position. You've got Antonio, you know, looking like an absolute world beater. You've got Bowen there, who obviously they signed from Hull, had great, um, you know, great sort of aspirations for, for him, and he looks absolutely brilliant now. And then, you know, soon enough, they're going to get all these absolutely awful games out of the way and have a better run. And I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I think we need to seriously be considering getting their players in. Because, I mean, if this is what they can do with the run they've got, what can they do when, when they've got Fulham at home, for example? Yeah, I mean, from game week eight, it looks rosy for them. And it's just, just they seem to have stumbled on a great shape, a great pattern of play. Yeah. Um, you know, playing five at the back, the way it's it works. They're taking Noble out, which helps. Yeah, I mean, that has made a difference. And the back three works with Creswell there, with Masuaku playing the wing-back role. And then they kind of take it in turns to go forward. So Masuaku can provide some pace. Creswell's got his end, end product, which is better than Masuaku. Masuaku's a funny player, isn't he? It's almost every season he's been in FBL, at some point he tempts us to buy him. Yeah. Because he's a tricky character, got lots of lots of pace, Okay, he's not got a massively great end product, but he, he he's he's interesting to watch. He's quite a thrilling player to watch, isn't he? Mm. And I look at it and think, four point five. I'm going to have yeah. to consider that. He was a midfielder last season, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's he's obviously now the defender and now playing. I really like Masuaka. I mean, you're looking at four point five defenders. I mean, at the moment you've got. I mean, Lamptey's now kind of approaching four point seven, four point eight mark. Um, I've got. Walker Peters and and Eiling, who I'm quite happy with, but other than that, there isn't a huge amount of of other standout 4.5 options. And like you know, with Mitchell, um, with Mitchell there and PVA coming back, and Mitchell's been okay, but hasn't made some mistakes. And I don't, he's not going to keep his place. I don't think when when Van Anholt's back. So you know, suddenly you've got you've actually got a spot for a 4.5 defender. And I think really Masuaku is pretty perfect. And and Creswell as well. You pay extra, but he, he got three goals last year. He didn't get any assists last year. He got two already. Yeah. And the way they play with Suchek and Antonio as targets, his delivery is going to return some assists. Like he yeah. could be another one of those defenders who can get to 10 assists. Mm. Um, 4.9 though, so you're going a bit further. But he has free kicks as well. He got, and I, I just think, yeah, they, they their first 11 all of a sudden with Declan Rice and Suchek, they, they've they got a perfect balance. And they were Suchek bombing forward. Just yeah. it's it's really nice. I mean, Moyes has got a very nice setup now. Very good system of play. Defensively, look at this data. They're second to Everton. Uh, Fabianski in goal. They certainly haven't got a bad goalkeeper, so they're going to have a good season. And it's unbelievable. I mean, the tra- they had transfer window. They did they didn't buy anyone to no. strengthen. They got rid of a Dingana. Noble comes out and slates the board. You've got Moyes, who none of the fans want. Uh, it just looked like an absolute train wreck of a season incoming, and. Back to back four nil wins against Leicester and Wolves. Like what? <laughs> it's three three nil at Leicester, but it could have been three nil at Leicester. Four, yeah, three yeah, at Leicester, four nil at Wolves. Yeah, I mean, it, I like you. I thought the off field stuff. When you see that pre season, you go, "Well, I'm going nowhere near West Ham." Regardless of the fixtures, which were no. rubbish as well. The off field stuff, you think, "Well, that's got to get to a team." Because often you see the manager try and deflect it and go, "Oh no, no, the players aren't fit," but you know it is playing a factor. But uh, they seem to have shrugged that off, or maybe it's actually worked the other way. Don't know, but yeah, they've been a surprise. And along with Everton and Villa, at the moment, they look the team. I mean, it was going to be Wolves with the fixtures, but if you look mm. at Wolves' attacking data, you know they're right down there on this table, right yeah. near the bottom, one hundred and four point four minutes per xG. 
Um, and that doesn't lie as well, because when you watch them, although they look good against Sheffield United day mm. one and they look fantastic against City, um, the last two games have been very disappointing and that's shown yeah. in the data. And it's worrying because, like you said, I've got Jimenez in or you know, we were looking at Jimenez for this period for him to get three or four goals. And it's not certain based on the data that they're doing they're to return at mm. the moment. So, but like I said earlier, I think Nuno's going to turn it around. I'm, I've got faith in him. So I think Wolves too early. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, with Semedo. I, th- I think, you know, I, I like having that wing back because I think if Wolves aren't going to be scoring that many goals and, you know, grinding out wins a bit more, then you've got Semedo who has potential both ends of the pitch. And I kind of, if I didn't have Jimenez, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be rushing to get him, particularly after that, that Fulham game. I think if you've held out without having him for that, I think you hold out going forward as well. And if you've just got Sace, then I think you you will probably be quite Sace or, or Samedo or someone like that. I think you probably don't think Samedo's Doherty yet though. I think he's got a way to go before he. Fits well, no, in. I mean he showed that he showed that in the, in the last yeah. game. There's there is there's but there is potential there though. I, I was I was quite happy with him watching watching that game. But then looking at the defensive data, Wolves are down there for this as well. Minutes per yeah. SG sixty one point eight or so that sixth from bottom. So they're not great shakes defensively, but they have had City in their fixtures. Um, so that obviously does skew things a bit normally. Um, United's second to bottom in there. Yeah, XG crazy. Their defence, they're 37.6 minutes per XG conceded. Not surprising. I mean, that performance and minutes per big chance conceded, 22.3, right down there at the bottom. In fact, I think that, that is bottom in terms of minutes per chance conceded, big chance conceded. Yeah. Um, crazy. Just going back to the attacking day as well, Sheffield United, Fulham, Crystal Palace, Burnley and West Brom. Clean sheets are hard to come by, but if you're backing against that opposition, that's your best chance because clearly they're all struggling for goals. Um, and yeah, I talked about Brewster, but really they all lack that cutting edge. I mean, Palace have got Zaha, Fulham have got Mitrovic, Burnley have got Wood, but it's about service and they're not, they're just not creating mm. chances. They need Pereira, ironically, <laughs> because they haven't got a striker. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They've got the yeah. creative force, but they're done as a strike. So, I mean, those those sides are the ones to back against if you're looking for clean sheets, clearly, if so far in the data, that, that's pretty obvious. But, yeah, it's surprising if you look at the defensive data to see United down there. We didn't we didn't expect that, did we? I mean, I don't know. That's just crazy. Um, but West Ham and Everton, top of that as well. And Southampton, when I was talking about their attack and Ings and Adams disappointing, I expected their attack to be a lot stronger than it has been. I didn't expect their defence to be up there. I mean, they're ranked third for minutes per XG conceded. Mm. And again, I think they've reacted to that that Spurs defeat. They they did this when they lost heavily to Leicester last season. They suddenly improved markedly. And they've kept two clean sheets since that Spurs defeat. I was talking, I was talking about some of the scout cast, though. Like, I, I, do, I do wonder. That, I mean, they had pretty much the two perfect games for the way Southampton play in, um, in Burnley. And then, uh, who did they have last? West Brom. So they're not exactly playing teams with no. loads of pace getting in behind. And, and I was going to mention Chelsea, actually, because Chelsea are, you know, they're, they're doing OK. I think mean, they're sixth on in terms of um, XG and, and the same in terms of, of XG conceded. So, and this is without really a lot of their players that they bought over the summer. So I think they've had quite a depleted team, but they're still kind of knocking on the door. And it's going to be really interesting to see them versus Southampton because I really do think this should play perfectly into Chelsea's hands. And if you're like me and you've got Havertz or you're keeping Werner, like a lot of other people are for some reason, um, I think you really need to be seeing a good performance from them in that game. 
because this game with Pulisic coming behind, Werner making the runs in behind, Havertz pulling the strings, you know, Ziyech maybe back, throw-ins he's really good at, getting in behind the defence and the, the assist potential he's got. This should be a game that Chelsea win comfortably. I think it's absolutely perfect for their new look squad. So it'll be a test of Southampton in terms of have they actually recovered or have they just had quite a decent couple of games. It'll be a test for Chelsea because, I mean, if Werner and, and Havertz blank in that, then I'm, I think I'm going to admit defeat and... Yeah, well, the story goes. I mean, like Sun was obviously exploited the high line, and Werner's in exactly the same position out on the yeah. left. So it's ready made for him. You'd think. You'd like to think Ralph would learn and not expose his defence in the same way, but he didn't learn in the game, did he? No. <laughs> so, so maybe not. Um, yeah, I think that fixture is it's handy, isn't it? Because we're looking at this data going. Well, Savanton defence looks like investable. McCarthy, Walker, Peters, but. Yeah, that Chelsea game will tell us more, much, yeah, much more. Exactly. About that. Um, yeah. uh, one defence that we should talk about is Liverpool's um, minutes per chance conceded, eleven point four minutes, um, right up there. I think that's second or third where we'd expect to see the Liverpool defence. Um, they're <laughs> down there, obviously, for minutes per xG based on the Villa performance. But um, do we give up on them with Adrian in goal? And that's what I look want to look at next. I've got Trent and Robertson, and what I've got here is. I looked back at game weeks two to eight, the seven matches where Adrian played in a run. He did play other matches. He played single matches elsewhere in the season, but this was the, his running goal with them. Um, so I wanted to see just how badly Liverpool fared with him in goal, and it wasn't badly at all. Um, they conceded five goals, which was the best defence during that period, that seven-game week period. Um, they only kept two clean sheets, but only a couple of teams kept three, so it wasn't that badly off. Shots conceded, they were ranked fourth. On target conceded, they were the best defence. Big chances conceded, they were the second best defence. And expected goals conceded, they were the second best defence. So the seven matches of Adrian in goal, Liverpool's defence still fared pretty well. They only kept a couple of clean sheets. But in terms of the effect on the defence and how many opportunities they conceded, it didn't seem to impact them too much. And they had, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea and Leicester in that spell. So they weren't all gimmies. Um, but, so, so does I it matter? Know, but does it does it matter how good their XG conceded? Not if he makes mistakes. Like when he makes mistakes and no, he can concede pretty it. much anything. This is it. So I think what we can learn is that you know Klopp's defence isn't going to be suddenly having a Villa performance ever again. You'd hope, but I don't think we give up on their their defensive stability. But it all comes down to whether Adrian's going to make more horrendous errors, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it's like the Pickford factor. I look at Everton's defence and think, well, it's still investable, but the one thing is the goalkeeper. Mm. We can't we can't really predict that. And there's not a lot Klopp can do about it. He can't coach that, really. Adrian's at the stage of his career where he's making those mistakes. Yeah. There's not a lot you can do about it. No. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I think if you've got Trent and Robertson, then then you, it's a hold, I'd say. I can see why people might move them around if they want a bit of money, but I think you've probably got other fires to put out unless you're wildcarding, and then I, I probably wouldn't stick with the, the double up. But I mean, if you've got Van Dijk, I, I don't think Van Dijk gives you enough attacking-wise to compensate for Adrian in goal. Um, so if I had him, I'd, I would definitely be looking to, to move him out if I had him paired with one of the other two. Yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly how I feel about Robertson and Trent in that it, there's not obvious replacements yet. Um, but they're there as players I can free up money from. Um, but the trouble is, it's deciding who would you get rid of. The the current trend is get rid of Trent because Robertson's outperforming. Yeah. And I I can see that. You see it with the eye test, you see it with the data. Um, but Trent is such a... 
He's a player who can haul. I mean, he's you know, he's the only defender I can think of who can get 20 points in a game. He's done it before. Um, yeah. And so it's very, very difficult because he's got the free kicks. It's not just about the assists. So I'm not in a hurry to get rid. And I and I learned last season giving up on the Liverpool defence can really hurt you because I gave up just before they kept 11 consecutive clean sheets. So I'm not saying they can do that. But what looking at this, it makes you think, if Adrian doesn't make errors... You know, he's not he's not going to be suddenly peppered with shots, right? So it's not like he's going to have plenty of opportunities to let the ball run through his legs, but it only takes one shot, doesn't it? So, uh, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting time holding those two defenders with watching Liverpool. I think that the question there. mark's coming. How do, how do they recover from, from conceding so many goals like that? Like, does yeah. Klopp tweak things to try and have them not so exposed like they were and just getting absolutely slaughtered, you know, playing such a high line like they were? Um, but that would mean kind of changing all the tactics that have made him so successful. So I don't think there's going to be radical changes. But if it's going to encourage teams to do what Villa did and, and attack more and not sit back and think, actually, we can really get at this team. Maybe Villa can do it, then we can do it. Then maybe those stats will be different going forward and we'll see teams sort of taking the game to them a bit more. Yeah, yeah I think, I think really that's the danger. We look at City and we look at Liverpool. Um, they've been got at. And I think that's the bigger impact, not necessarily the results. It's the fact that teams will be looking at that and managers yeah. will be looking at that going, I can approach these these two teams differently. I can get about them and cause them problems. Well, I, I put it in my article. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if the behind closed doors gives teams more of a kind of incentive to attack and not worry so much about getting thrashed or, you know, grinding out a, a win or keeping it tight. I just think there's, there might be more confidence that's bred from it almost being like a more of a training game or I don't really know. There, seem, there just seems to be something different in the way a lot of the sort of lower teams in the league are approaching games. There seems to be a lot more flair and a lot more, I don't know, Just there's just something different in the air. You just kind of feel it. It's just, it's, well, it's, it's just very strange. When we look at the data in a bit, you're, I don't know. I mean, there, there's a lot of speculation about why it's been, but the, the data is, does support the fact that this is just such a tease. Yeah. Such a tease. Um, I want to look at this because this is, uh, this is key performance indicator data from Fancy Football Scout. I don't think many people use this stuff. And I, I, I built this in the, in the Opta, in the members area, and no other site has got this kind of thing. It can be replicated, but, you know, no one else seems to do it. What this does, just to explain, it looks at some key indicators of player performance. So minutes per shot, minutes per shot in the box, minutes per shot on target, minutes per chance created, touches in the penalty area, crosses, passes received and passes final third. And what you can do, you can compare this season and that particular stat to last season and look whether there's been a percentage increase or percentage decrease. Um, and therefore, you can effectively see if there's any trends in in players. Um, are, are they showing form, greater form than last season, or are they showing le- less form? And so it's a really interesting kind of analysis because you don't get that necessarily when you look at data for the season. Mm-hmm. And looking at this straight away, um, I've got midfielders in the top day. Well, Mane at the top there, you can clearly see Mane's game so far this season. He's, he's up in his game totally. In terms of shots, he's up 56%. In terms of shots in the box, he's up 39%. And then you look down to Salah, and Salah's, yeah, he's got some increases. But there's no doubt from this at the moment that Mane is performing at a higher level, not only than Salah, but a higher level than himself last season. Mm. Um, compare that to, to what we were saying after the first game against Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy turnaround. So this is something we've got to keep an eye on because... Penalties obviously has us 
go into Salah. But Mane is a forgotten figure. But at the moment, he is suddenly showing the numbers that show he could have his best season yet, which is hard to believe given that he was player of the year contender last year. Uh, other players I've highlighted here, Suchek. I mean, look at Suchek. So far, he hasn't scored. But if you look at how he's performing in terms of minutes per shot, minutes per shot in the box, minutes per chance created, everything's up on last season. Every key indicator is up. Yeah. So he is a player that is performing higher than he did in his debut season. And yet in his debut season, he did very well. So I'm expecting returns from him very, very soon. Um, and further down, Grealish, Barnes, Bowen, these are all players we've mentioned already. I think you're looking at this and going, yeah, all of these players are performing their previous you know, key indicators from last season. They're showing improvement and progression. And then you look further down and United, you know, Fernandez, and look at Rashford. Uh, no, no, that's the standout to me on that. It's, his shots have gone awful, down by 105%. 105% decrease. His touches in the penalty area down by 97%. So he's getting the ball less in the area. He's having fewer shots in the box. He's having fewer shots on target. It's a miserable state of affairs for Rashford at the moment. Mm. And then you look down to the strikers and Martial's at the bottom there as well. So, yeah. you know, a lot of people are leaving United assets out of their wildcard and you look at this so far and you can't blame them. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, Aubameyang there as well down the bottom is is surprising. 56% less shots, 65% less in the box. And, you know, he we, we sold him sort of after game week two and he was always a player who I thought could punish the kind of sellers because obviously he's listed as a midfielder now and Arsenal were looking good under Arteta and they got off to a good start. Um, but looking at that makes me feel a bit better about not having him. So that's nice. <laughs> Look at Kane's numbers. I mean, he, he always at his best. He was always a stat monster, but... That chance created, 100% improvement. 100% improvement. Now, he didn't, statistically, he had a poor season last year, so it's perhaps not surprising. But this is clear evidence, you know, we've had the eye test, we've got the goals and assists, but his underlying stats are also outperforming his last season by a mile. And Calvert-Lewin as well, it's there, he's second to him here in this table. Everything's up, shots up 30%, shots in the box up 30%, shots on target 58%. He's not having more touches in the area. He's just getting higher quality chances. Mm. And, and it's a big factor. Uh, you make Callum Wilson there doing well. Lots of green there. Everything's up for him. So yeah. Very, very, very disappointed I didn't go with him. Had him right up until the end. Mm. That hurt. Those goals he scored this week, really like a knife to the yeah, heart. Yeah, I mean, he is someone who's going to haunt you because you're probably never going to get him in now, are you? And no. You always look back at that pre-season lineup and... Well, I could, I could have got him this week, but I went for Mopay instead. So that probably, that probably bite me. <laughs> What's happening with Ings there as well? Because that's surprising. Because he was a player that I was looking at pre-season. I probably would have had him as the alternative to Werner. But at the moment, everything's down. You know, mm. he's he's had more. I think he's had more touches in the box. Um, no, he hasn't. They've gone down by sixteen percent. He's had, he's received more of the ball, more passes, seventeen percent up. But everything else, key indicators are down. 39% reduction in shots, 35 in shots in the box. He's creating fewer chances. It's Southampton in general, isn't it? Yeah. When he talks about it in the in the in the team stats. They're they're just they're just creating less in general as, as a team. Um Arms, Armstrong's out now as well, isn't he? Again, because he's got the COVID yeah, so thing. We've got Chelsea next. Yeah. Things is I mean, Luke Luke captained him this week um against West Brom and really unlucky to get two points, but Got to be thinking if you've got him, 8.5 is a lot of money for, for Ings in a Southampton team. It's all right when Southampton are flying, but in a team like Southampton, who are really a top 10-ish team, 8.5 for a striker, it's 
quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, him like Jimenez, Jimenez's numbers aren't massively down on last season. He's, he's basically on par, but he's one I'm going to be tracking in this key performance indicator mm. data because I think I'm worried about Wolves and how it's so affecting him. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, Fantasy Football Scout has it in the members area. It's, it's KPI uh, tables, much neglected, but I think really useful, particularly in international breaks when you can take stock. Yeah, we'll come back to them. Um, Very nice. This is the data that I was leading up to in terms of... Um, oh, drum roll. Yeah, I mean, I just find this extraordinary because I there was an, there was an article on the BBC about conversion rate, um, and before that, I started mining the Opta data. So what we've got here, the top table is um, game weeks one to twenty nine last season, so pre lockdown, and then game weeks thirty to thirty eight. And what you see here is conversion rate, excluding penalties, raised after the restart. It raised from fourteen percent to fifteen point three, so a small increase in in char- in goal conversion. This is shots on target which turn into goals effectively um, or shots that turn into goals. But look at this season, the table below. 2021, the conversion rate excluding penalties is currently 19.5%. In previous seasons, the best has been, well, in the previous 10 seasons, the best has been 14.3%. So mm. it's it's up 5% or more than 5% on all previous seasons. I mean, it's up by 7% on seasons going back five years. So basically, strikers are converting more chances for some reason. And then you look across and the save percentage is down to 57.7. So keepers are saving fewer shots. Obviously, the two go together. Shot accuracy is up. Why are strikers being more accurate with their... It's not just strikers, obviously. Why are players being more accurate with their shooting? Well, you, you said you said earlier it was it was unsustainable, but I I, I I I don't see why it is unsustainable. I mean, it's a completely different... It's a completely different landscape for, for strikers. I mean, not taking a shot and... Taking a shot and not having tens of thousands of opposing fans screaming you're a... Whatever do, you, do you think that's a factor? Yeah, I think it probably is. And, and, and think about penalties as well. I mean, think about how many penalties have been taken and how many penalties have been missed. I think we've only had one miss um, from penalties, haven't we? Which was maybe maybe two. Um, I think I, I, I think if you're if you're a striker and you're taking a, a shot or or something like that in a game where there's no fans, I think you've got a, a better chance of scoring personally, whether it's the pressure of your own fans or or the opposition. Well, I mean that conversion rate doesn't include penalties, so take them out of it completely. They're just yeah, they're just converting more no, shots using, in the goals. Just, just using that as an example because I mean I don't know what the, the the scoring rate of penalties is this season compared to other seasons. It's just kind of a separate thing, but. I do, I do think confidence. The confidence of of playing behind closed doors, I've always thought would would be would be up. Um, and you saw it. I mean, with you know, look at Sterling. I think it was perfect for Sterling last season because he endured a pretty frustrating season, and then lockdown came in, and then football came back on, and suddenly Sterling was banging them in again for for fun. So, yeah. what, what was the turnaround with with him? Is that was that? But, it, but a confidence it, it's thing? weird that it would affect everybody in the same way. It's not just True. one or two players. It's the entire. Yeah. Premier League, which I find difficult to understand. And mm. when you look at the other stats here, a big chance per game. So big chances per game, excluding penalties. It's down on last season. So the average last season was 3.7% you know, per game. At the moment, it's 3.3. So it's not like there's more opportunities to score. It's just when opportunities do come up, they're converting more of them or keepers are yeah. saving fewer of them. And I don't really get what that could be. Um, 
because I'd expect to look at this and go, well, there's obviously more chances. Well, there isn't. There mm. isn't. Chance creation isn't up. It's just they're taking them. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, is bizarre. Okay, well, then look at this then. This is um, looking at expected goals, right? So this is expected goals data. The top table is uh, expected goals data for the teams and uh, from game weeks one to four this season compared to game weeks one to four last season. And what we've got highlighted there is the expected goals data. That is the number of goals they've scored each team minus their expected goals. Um, and what's clear there is that almost every single team in the Premier League so far has exceeded their expected goals tally. Whereas you look at last season and only, what, eight teams did that at this point. Mm. So the expected data suggests there is no way this can be, be sustainable. Absolutely no way because they're just over... They're, they're over All the teams goals. are over. Yeah, over, every yeah. single one of them, barring Sheffield United who are down there yeah. on minus 256. So Sheffield United were expected to score 2.5 more goals than they have. Um, which is why I'm holding Brewster. Um, but <laughs> every other team is 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 over delivered, and yet last season at this point it was about half the division. So there's a clear difference there. Now, is it down to empty stadiums, or is it just pure outlier and it's going to level out over the next few games? But is it? But it's interesting that like it, it is all the teams. It is so many. It's not like a couple of teams sort of over indexing and, and and sort of skewing the numbers a bit more. The fact it is happening consistently across all of the different teams makes me think that there is something in it and it is something that could continue. You feel that. You, you don't think it's going to regress then. You think it's going to, we're going to see this trend to some extent continue. Maybe not as stark as this, but you think it will be the case. That That is my, that is my early impression. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at this and think, well, Again, one of the reasons why I haven't played my wild card is I don't feel confident yet I can suss yeah. this, this season out. And this kind of does reinforce that. It, it, it suggests that it is all going to change and there's going to be quite a shift because unless expected data is not valid, um, then we're going to see every team regress somewhat. And so until that levels out a bit, that I don't want to be changing my team lock, stock and barrel. But... You could be right. It might be that this is a trend that continues. It's it's just fascinating, though, isn't it, to see this because utterly bizarre. And there's a lot of speculation as to why it might be. But at the moment, the popular opinion is it's just we've had a, a, two extreme game weeks, game week two and four, um, which apparently since Opta have started gathering uh, expected goals data, those those two game weeks, two and four, have been the game weeks where teams have exceeded their expected goals the most since I think over the last six seasons. So they are extreme cases. Mm. Now it's unknown at the moment, whether we're going to see that continue or whether it's going to regress. You'd think yeah, I mean, the latter, but maybe not. Is it? I mean, you know, look at, looking at the comments in the, in the chat, I mean, you know, some people saying, Oh, it's only four game weeks and I, you know, can't look at this kind of stuff, but it gives you an early indication of, of what's happening, and the idea is that you track it and you see. Well, is it a complete? Is it a complete? I mean, in four weeks' time, if the numbers still look like this, then clearly it is a pattern, and you need to kind of you need to kind of monitor it to know kind of a baseline for where we're at at the moment compared to what happens over the season. I mean, FPL Phenom um, says, uh, you know, well, we didn't see these numbers sort of after you know after restart happened after pretty restart happened. 
but it's it's a new normal now, isn't it? Like it's, it's it's very different when it first happens and teams are adjusting and trying to work out what to do. And maybe there's a bit less, um, you know, the atmosphere, the people, if players are struggling, you know, not not quite adjusting to the fact there's no atmosphere and all that. But now it is kind of more normalised. I wonder if it is, it is the kind of normal to have these kind of numbers and and this kind of conversion. I don't know. Like you say, it's 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 a really tough one to 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 know. Because we are only so early into the season, but those numbers are are really interesting. Be if if teams all continue to outperform their xG, then it really is going to be a case of getting the most attacking players and yeah, and, and back them. Logic says they can't, and logic says that we're going to see a change, but we're not certain. And I think that sums up the season. We 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 know we're in the middle of something very very odd, right? The, the data says that, right? This is this is not. This is far from normal. And the data suggests that it's going to shift back. But we'll just have to sit and wait. And that's that's kind of my advice, I think. For people who, who look at it and go, oh, no, I need to play the wild card. I think unless your team is in really bad state, I think it's a good idea to hold because everything suggests we're going to see the season pattern shifting again. And maybe it's down to a lack of pre-season. Maybe the, the lack of defensive stability is down to the fact that coaches haven't had long enough to, to coach that kind of thing. I don't know. I mean... There's all kinds of theories about it, but I think it's, it's I just a level. It's just a leveler as well, isn't it? Like you know, you go to Anfield when there's you know tens of thousands of fans, and you know all the atmosphere and the players thrive off it and all that kind of stuff. And now you go there and it's like playing at the Hawthorns. Like it's there's no it just it just levels out. The games become almost like training games, and it's just what teams can get the best handle on it and and adapt to it the best. And I think certain players like Sterling did maybe thrive on it if they're feeling pressure and, and they, you know, and they can kind of, they've just got the coaches shouting them, other players shouting them. It must be a bit of relief to kind of be in that situation. And I, I wonder, like, psychologically for a striker, I think some would thrive off the back of, you know, cupping their ears to the crowd and, you know, getting abused and hushing them and all that kind of stuff. But I think for others, treating it like more of a training game and where they may be banging goals for fun and then struggle in the bigger matches, it must be something quite nice. Yeah, I mean, you look at I mean, Vardy. Obviously, he's got he's had the penalties, but aside from that, he has worried me in terms of touches on the ball and chances. His data, he's never been a no. big for stats, but it's down. It's down a lot, even on previous seasons, as, yeah. as you would have seen in the KPIs. So he's a player you think maybe he's struggling because of lack of crowds, whereas Sterling mm. the other way maybe. I don't. It, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, what what's clear though is that this has been a starker change and more bizarre than the eight game weeks we saw at the tail end of last season. And it could be that that's because, you know, Liverpool had sewn up the title maybe and there was an established kind of almost like a set of rules and the and the players just played out the season effectively, apart from the, the, the teams threatened by relegation. They had everything to play for, of course. Whereas now it's a new start. Maybe you're right. Maybe the fact that no crowds is a leveller is, is playing a bigger factor. But I, I, I think there's going to be change. I think it can't continue in the way it has. That's pretty obvious. But I think it's going to be quite a marked change. I think... I think defences are going to get better and goalkeepers are going to make fewer errors soon and, and there's going to be fewer goals. And I think, yeah, I don't, I think holding the wild card until it's levelled out a bit and we'll track mm. this as we go uh, might be the, the wisest thing to do. With, with crowds, there's no way that, that Liverpool and Man U are getting battered like that, you know, in, in the way that they no, did you wouldn't like have last thought, I mean, season. Just no way, surely. It would have been crazy to see the Old Trafford crowd there for that game. And look at, I mean, even look at Barcelona getting thrashed against Bayern Munich. You know, was it 8-2? Eight, eight, was it in that game? 
Um, you know, I mean, I know Barcelona have got their problems on and off the field, but I mean, that is just such a comprehensive win for them. I mean, apart from, you know, Brazil losing to Germany all those years ago, I can't really remember a, 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 such a ridiculous scoreline from two absolutely top teams like that. And we're seeing it a lot more regularly now. So, yeah, it's very, very weird. Well, maybe we're just going to be sitting here waiting for it to change. It never will. But I think it's something something we've got to track. And, mm. and what this data shows, it's been utterly bizarre um, in so many ways. Um, okay, let's look at our teams. A brief look forward. We're going to do more of this next week, obviously, and we look forward to game week five. Um, so you've made your transfer already. Um, yep. Transfers are made. So I've taken out Werner, who I do think could have a good game against Southampton if he plays central striker. But like you said, you, I mean, you called it last week. Like you just, It just feels like every week I'm making an excuse to keep him. And, you know, Calvert-Lewin... When I saw those, when I saw Liverpool capitulate the way they did and Calvin get another goal, I just thought he's just going to get away from me. Exactly the same as what you thought. And I just thought, if I don't do it now, I'm, just, I'm never going to do it. So, yeah, Werner went for Calvin Lewin. And then that gave me the money to upgrade um, Davis, my 4.5 striker, to Mope. So, in, in theory, it was almost like gaining an extra player because it meant I could bench Walker Peters, who I probably would have had to start um, and play Mope. So, in terms of a four point hit, I think it's the logic of it. Um, makes sense and it's only really Werner that can that can hurt me so you know I was thinking about playing the wild card over the international but I'm looking at my team and thinking I don't really need to I've, I've got I've got a fairly strong squad my biggest question mark is who the hell do I captain this week and at the moment I've got it on Havertz wow gutsy because <laughs> I, I, mean... I, I really do think Chelsea um, are gonna are gonna put Southampton to the sword so you, you, about myself. You, you, you see that yeah, I mean Pulisic could figure couldn't he um so, Pulisic will definitely figure. I mean, yeah. he's he's now back in training. There's a video of him smashing in goals. I think it's one of one of the other players winning goal. Not not Mendy or Kepa, but you know, it's just Pulisic just smashing in bangers. Um, no, Ziyech, Ziyech, I think is going to be fit as well. I just think it's it's going to be really exciting to see them in that game. Yeah, I mean, these these are the players we hope would be ready. Well, we we were told Pulisic was going to be ready, and then he broke down in training, yeah. didn't he? But yeah, I. Yeah, you've got off Werner then just when you're tipping Chelsea to recover. I know. Well, that's, that's the issue, but I can't be playing. I mean, you know, if I keep him, I can't afford Mope. I'm having to keep, I'm having to play Basuma, Mitchell or Walker-Peters again. Because <laughs> um, that's the problem. My team, having having those two 4.5 defenders um, meant that my team wasn't flexible. Whereas now getting in the 6.5 striker means I'm a lot more easy to adapt to, to strikers and move my team around a bit more. So I, I do think it's it's a risk selling Werner this week. But like I said, I've already gained 0.4 team value on these moves. If Calvert-Lewin goes up again, which he probably will, and if Werner drops again, that's 0.6. Yeah. I mean, that is 0.6, gaining an extra player, moving to a formation which I, I like more. I think is, is worth is worth it. And, and you've got to think, like I said about Calvert-Lewin last week, you've got to think over the season, Calvert-Lewin, I don't think he's a flash in the pan. No. I, I just think with Rodriguez no. there and the way Everton are playing, Ancelotti is manager who's 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 going to keep this standard up, I think. And just Calvert-Luna as a player, he's he's kind of, he hasn't really got a weakness. I mean, he's finishing maybe, he, he's not he's not the finished article in terms of his finishing maybe, but there's evidence to suggest he's getting far better at that. And he's getting such good chances that, he's going to convert them because Rodriguez is there and you've got supply out wide from Coleman and Dina, which looks pretty good. Coleman looks to be, 
I mean, he's not the player he was, but yeah. he's, he's performing well. Um, so I don't see Calvert-Lewin as, as a as a short-term investment. I really don't. No, I, and I mean, the, the, the Brighton game was... Was, was when I realised that because you know I, I saw him against West Brom you think oh it's just West Brom yeah. see him against Palace and he gets a goal and that you know. but then you, I watched him against Brighton and he's like he's just he's just a different different man like all the all the anger and resentment I had about him last season when I had him for long periods I just didn't see any any of the frustration that, that I had while owning him like it was just it was painful not owning him in, in that Brighton game because Every cross that came in, looking at Rodriguez and just the amount he creates, and how they've got those fullbacks bombing up the pitch and, and stuff, and you know it, it was it was awful not owning any Everton attackers in that game. And how quickly they've all gelled and, and things is is you know massive credit to Angelotti because he has got them absolutely top level. So yeah, it's just one of those ones. I could stay stubborn about it. I could just think you know back my you know pre-season said oh he's not going to get goals, but I've changed my mind on him, and that's that's what you kind of got to do. You got to not be stubborn and. And kind of roll with it. You just have you considered Calvert-Lewin for the captaincy? Because I look at the Liverpool defence and it was exposed on that right hand side, and on that left hand side they're going to have Richarlison and Dina. Yeah, who are put as a partnership are going to cause Liverpool a lot of problems. So <laughs> there's there's every chance that I mean with Adrian in goal, they're likely to concede something. I expect anyway, but I I, I wonder whether people will go to Calvert-Lewin because it's one of those game weeks where it's really not obvious at all. Um, De Bruyne has got the tricky fixture against Arsenal, of course. Um, Salah, I guess. But, well, the one I issue... mean, Salah's someone I'm looking at. Sorry, but... didn't mean to interrupt. The, uh, the one issue with Calvert-Lewin, I think, is is uh, Rodriguez has got that international game for, yeah. for Colombia. And I think Ancelotti said he's a doubt or at least a doubt to start. So obviously without him in the team, the whole team is, is effective, is effective creativity. It's late. <laughs> Affected creatively. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm between probably um, De Bruyne and, and Havertz, but then Salah's there as well with Pickford in goal and he's taking shots against that. I also fancy that. So I just I just kind of want to have a bit of fun. And then, you know, I've had, I've, well, I've held Havertz for this long. And I, Havertz I do, is certainly a bit of fun. And I do think, I do think though, that this is, this is the time for Chelsea to really show it. And it's the best, you know, you, you talk about backing the fixtures, um, you look at you look at that team. Out of all my kind of main players, Havertz has got the best fixture. Yeah. So, no, I, think I, I it's brave. I, I, I hope you keep it on him. We'll talk more about it next week. I got a feeling you might not. Um, that's hmm. look at my. I've got it on. You said that on. about Pereira. Yeah, I know. Be, I know. A fiver. I know exactly. <laughs> um, I've got it on Salah, but he's reluctantly on Salah. But I guess yeah, the Pickford factors in my head as well. Um, I actually look at my team and think probably the player most likely to get a return is Grealish. Which yeah. I, I really do because yeah. I think Leicester looked didn't look great against West Ham. Greedish obviously looked sensational, and um, you know I can see him getting something out of that game. Uh, but I look elsewhere, and I think there's no certainties elsewhere at all. Um, not that Greedish is a certainty, but I think he's right up there. Uh, Salah will probably be the default, but I I, I don't like it. Don't really Early like game. It. Yeah, so my transfer was Booster in for Davis. I mean, I think that was in the situation. If you got Davis, if you had Davis, and he was going down in value, Booster's obviously got the move, and he and he's gonna. I don't know if he's gonna start, but he's definitely gonna feature against Fulham. Uh, Wilder's come out and said that. I think he'll start. He's got to. I mean, they need they need to start scoring, and you don't spend that amount of money on a striker and not play him. So I think Booster's gonna go straight in, which is tempting to start him, but. I just think I've got to give Suchek a run in because 
Yeah, agreed. We saw the data and Sutek is going to deliver very soon and he may even deliver big in a game. And even, you know, at Leicester, he was unlucky not to get anything. He was, Antonio headed it into the far post and Sutek was running in. He could have got that yeah. touch on that. Every time I see West Ham score, Suchek is in the box and in the area yeah. ready to do something. And Spurs, it's the kind of game you can see West Ham. I think there's going to be goals in that game. So, yeah. Would you go Son if you had Son? Captain? Mm. Yeah. I think I would. I think so as well. And that's that's another reason why I am half kind of tempted to play the wild card. Because if I did, it would be effectively to bring Son in and then I'd get I'd captain him. So that is the that is the bit of the, the worry. Um I think also, you know, uh who was it? Uh Salah Mohammed in the chat says with Fernandez, you know, away at Newcastle, uh are you not gonna get a, a, a bounce back there I mean they haven't shown anything to show they they will but I think Bruno's got to be a consideration in that game if you yeah I mean Newcastle have some confidence they'll fancy it won't they so I don't know what to expect from that game I don't I don't think United I don't yeah I think I'd be surprised if United run out three or four nil winners but you'd hope that you'd start seeing some form from these players because we thought at the start of the season that Rashford, Martial, Fernandes were going to be massive factors in our early season. Yeah. They haven't been at all. Um, but no, it's, I got sure. Burns hard with that because I went early on from Martial. Yeah, but they're going to click. Surely it's going to happen. Um, you know, I don't know if the Cavani transfer is going to make difference. It would be fascinating to see how he fits in and whether that changes the way they play. It's surely going to. He's a very different player to Martial. So yep. it's all changed there. So I'd expect We'll see some form from them soon, but I just don't think it will come at Newcastle. I don't see it yet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be, and we'll look forward again next week when I go into more detail. I don't think my captain's will be on Salah. I'm going to try and talk myself out of that. And I might well start Booster, but it's just that Suchet factor. It's Podence mm. and Jimenez. Are the, you know, it's crazy. These are the players I bought in only a week and two weeks ago, and they're the players now I look at and think they're probably the weakness. Yeah. And it's so short-sighted. I shouldn't be thinking that. You know, I've got to learn to be more patient because I think what we've looked at tonight shows that things are going to change. Um, it's hard to be though when Wolves are kind of throwing up numbers like they are and not show, not you know, not kind of demonstrating they are. You know, if their numbers are really high and you're just kind of being unlucky with them, then okay, moving them out might not be so sensible. When they they look like they're actually struggling a bit to be a real attacking force, then I can see why you're getting a bit twitchy. Because I am with with Jimenez already, and I've been in him one week. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I am twitchy, but I've got a theory that Leeds are going to play into their hands a bit. I, I, I do think if Troy starts up front, uh, we will see a few goals and walls in that game. I think. I think Le- Leeds are such a strange team to predict because they can do amazing things as they did against City, so impressive. But I still think there's a there's a soft underbelly there. They're going to be vulnerable. They're going to get turned over in games, mm. um, and I think Bielsa's not going to get it right all the time. He's gonna his style of play is gonna get exposed by some teams. And I, I think Wolves are equipped to do that. So yeah, I'm not gonna put the captaincy on him in this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he profits in that game. Hmm, that's encouraging. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think you're all right with your transfers. I mean, it's just that Havertz captaincy. I'll be fascinated. I, I want you to hold it on him because I, I think it's a maverick move and I think that's yeah, I think that's a good thing to do. Um, well, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to, you've got to kind of back yourself. You? I've got Havertz for a reason. He's an eight point five million midfielder. I know he he has been looking better in the games I've seen him play as well. It's not. I don't think it's completely mad to be backing a Chelsea player against against Southampton in that game. 
Um, you know, he's got an amazing record in the Bundesliga, got the hat-trick in the cup against Barnes, whoever it was, but has gen- generally looked better. And if if there are noises coming from Lampard that, that Ziyech and Pulisic are going to make that game, I, I, as I said, I, I just think that's a really, really good game for them. So, so it's captaincy and if he fails, he's out, basically. I would imagine so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right, we'll see. Um, that about wraps it up for this week. We've done like an hour and 40 minutes again. It's been a long yep. one, even though we've only had like a, a look back, but there was plenty to look back on. Fascinating stuff there. Um, we'll come back next week and I think Granville's going to be the guest next week, isn't he? Because you promised yeah. him, you know. You, no, don't It's all your it fault. Me. It definitely um, is. It was a combination of of technical failures and incompetence that meant Granville wasn't joining us today. And Granville, we are well. I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry, sorry that you couldn't be involved. Um, but Granville will definitely be here next week. And he's got to talk about those transfers because that was an extraordinary game week for him. Yeah, he's having a great season. It's you know you've got to get him on while he's absolutely. We've fine. got to get him miffed. We've got to get him properly miffed next next week to to recall those what he felt when he did. Uh, well, I won't ruin it. Yeah, he said, didn't he? He said, oh, I don't think I might have lost my uh, my fire um, next week. I might not be he so won't. angry. There's no way. I mean, we, I, we'll poke the bear. Oh, exactly. And I know exactly <laughs> what buttons to press. You know, I haven't forgotten. Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll get it out of him. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's it. I think you just got to say a couple of things about subscribing and liking, haven't you? Yeah, if you've watched to this far and you haven't subscribed and liked, what are you doing? The little buttons come nice, smooth. It's well, a smash. You smash it you know what to do smash that button um you know again i'll say every week but our subs are going up every week our likes going up every week the views are going up every week we've got 666 watching right now which is creepy spooky, spooky. um but yeah if you if you can like and subscribe then that is much appreciated and we'll see you next week with granville in tow and we'll try and wind him up we promise it's a good night for me good night everyone Podcast Network.